Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talking About Birds, the only Cardinal podcast that, like the ruby-throated hummingbird, is likely to have a short life. My name is Nate Heininger, and I am joined this week by special guest, friend of the show, host of Peace, Love, and Baseball, and co-host of Babes Babes podcast, Kelsey Bird. Welcome back to the show. What's up, Nate? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you. Ben is uh, up north, might have been eaten by a bear by now. We have no idea. We'll find out at some point. And uh, honestly, I think it's an immediate improvement on the show. So thanks for being here with me this week. Uh, We're going to uh, check in on Kelsey's trip to London. We're going to also talk a little bit about the current vibes around the Cardinals. We're going to talk about the upcoming trade deadline and the series against the Cubs and the series against Arizona. If you have an idea for the opening bit, tweet us at Talk About Birds. Kelsey, thank you again for being here. The last time you were on the show was April 20th. Uh, it's, it's fair to say it's been uh, that that feels like it's I know it's only on the calendar like two months, but that feels like a decade ago. Uh, how have you been holding up? How have the last few months been for you? It feels like it was a lifetime ago, truly. (laughs) And yeah, it's hard to even like take it back to that place mentally or emotionally that we were on on April 20th. I'm thinking that date specifically because Jim Edmonds pointed out today how uh, that is the last date that Zach Thompson actually had pitched for the Cardinals uh, before today. So it has been that long. Yeah, I mean, you can just sort of trace the the story of the season almost off of Zach Thompson alone, right? Highly <laughs> right. regarded prospect comes in, falters, gets sent down, maybe to uh, to become a bullpen ace, but instead gets converted to a starter. Struggles at that, struggles at basically everything, kind of like the Cardinals, and then is back. Maybe looked a little. Look kind of good today, maybe, but maybe it's too late. Also, we're going to talk about all of that. But yeah, that's a yeah, uh, kind of like Ben with that bear. It is a wait to see right now. Yeah, it's uh, 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 oh, Schrodinger's uh, eaten by a bear right now. We don't know <laughs> if he's been eaten by a bear until we we look for his remains. Um, yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a uh, well. Are you regretting getting into baseball podcasting so much now that the uh, Cardinals have had such a bad season? You know what? I'm not, and in fact, I'm glad that I did when I did because yeah. I think it's really given me a platform to process my emotions. It's given me a reason to stay invested on the days when it's been hard to stay invested, and yeah. I think all around, like going through this experience, this different experience for especially me as a millennial Cardinal fan mm-hmm. uh, has only made me a better baseball fan. So I'm trying to find the silver lining there. What a positive spin. We've uh, we've been talking about that on the show, too, where like, you know, when everything was going really well last year, it was there was always there's always something to talk about. But everyone loves the controversy, right? You love, uh, you know, it's 
the 24 hour news cycle, right? Is there something that we can rant about? So in some ways, you're right. I mean, this has been a great platform to be able to just get on it and rant about uh, Marmol or Mazalak or the trade deadline or whatever. Um, so I'm glad to hear your spirits are high. I, I would have expected nothing less. Uh, I had a question for you since you've last been on, um, started doing something with with guests. Uh, this is a term that I learned from birding as the podcast has gone downhill so much. We're really learning, leaning into the birding stuff, uh, <laughs> trying to keep it interesting for people. Um, you may have heard me talk about it on previous episodes. There's a term called the spark bird. And in yes. birding, it is what bird got you into enjoying looking at birds, right? What was your spark bird? So we've kind of twisted it into what made you a Cardinal fan? Like, is there a specific yeah. player that really made you feel connected and, and, and start to love the sport? So I wanted to know, do, do you have a spark bird, Kelsey? Are you, have you thought about what your spark bird might be? Yeah. Well, first off, I should mention that I guess I, I feel like I have a literal spark bird because my, my dad and my grandpa are, you know, birds, uh, in a sense, of course you are the, uh, yes. and they are the, the ones that really got me into baseball, but player wise, I actually have one when I think back on it from like pitching, hitting and defense, like there's mm -hmm. a player that made me like really appreciate and got me excited about that and became a fan of the game as a whole. So my first favorite player ever was Matt Morris. I would have been okay. like 10 or 11 years old uh, in his 2001 season when he won 22 games. He was third in Cy Young voting. He was an all-star for the first time. And I don't know. There's something about the pitchers that I always like had a little girl crush on right away when I first started watching a lot of baseball. And at that age, I was, you know, 10 or 11. I was old enough to start to understand like what was going on, but by no means like dig deep into the statistics or anything, you know? Sure. So I remember my dad uh, starting to explain things to me and teaching me about the game by asking me like, what's the situation? And what he would mean by that is like, you know, how many runners on base? What's the count? Um, those kinds of things. And so I think by asking myself that question and learning just like, okay, where everything is at on the scoreboard and learning how much control the pitcher had over the situation, like I appreciated how important the pitcher was to contributing and, and controlling the game first. So loved Matt Morris. And then that, of course, was the same year that Albert Pujols made of his course. debut. So I think yep. in the sense of, uh, you know, offense and hitting and those big, exciting moments, like I this is the first year that I really remember, like watching baseball without Albert Pujols. And he's been very much the face of the game in those big offensive moments for me. Yeah. And then the following year, 2002, was when Scott Rowland was traded to the Cardinals. And uh, then 2003, 2006, had his all-star seasons and continued to add to his ultimately Hall of Fame career. So uh, that's what really made me, I think, start to appreciate the art of defense and just put all the pieces together. I was totally sold. I love that. Um, yeah, the fact that you were 10 or 11 and you had a pitcher as your favorite player really does speak to the level of education that you were provided about the game. Because 
Uh, my favorite player, my spark bird was Ozzy Smith, and it's because he did flips. So you can oh, see yeah. where we're really we're really <laughs> approaching the game at uh, <laughs> at different angles. So I can appreciate uh, your degree of investment and and how informed you were watching it at such an early age. And then of course, yeah, Pujols and Roland. I mean, the whole MV three. You know, Jim Edmonds yeah. is this whole new th- new thing for all of us that it's hard to actually. I know, really right? <laughs> but but but. In Don't that forget moment. that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you know, and I believe Jim Edmonds should be in the Hall of Fame right alongside uh, Roland and, you know, eventually Pujols. But uh, it's For a little sure. hard right now to really settle my thoughts on 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 how I feel long term yeah. about Jim Edmonds. We could have just left it with that. but <laughs> We could have just left it. Yeah. But. No, it's cool. He's great. Uh, well, that's really cool. So thank you for sharing. Um, I, I listened to your uh, recent episode of Peace, Love, and Baseball. It's a great show. Recommend everybody who listens to the show, go and check it out. And uh, you had the whole, the whole episode was focused on bad fan behavior, which I think is an interesting topic. And it's, it's a good topic for right now, uh, considering the season that we've had. and. Um, you know some of the the uh, some of the behaviors that we've seen online and even in, in real life that uh, you know have come from such a frustrating season uh, and some things that I think you know I totally aligned with you on uh, like what we shouldn't be doing as fans. I try not to tell people too much like what they should or shouldn't be doing as a fan. Part of fandom is enjoying it how you want to, but there's some there's some toxic. Totally behavior out there right uh, yeah and I and felt so we, weird because actually like my third one I think was like don't tell other people how to be a fan and I was like wait this whole episode is telling I, people how to be a fan but you just said it perfectly <laughs> yeah there's a delicate balance there too and which actually brings me to the one that I wanted to talk to you about because uh, <laughs> this is something that I've actually spent a fair amount of time thinking about and that is the wave uh so you you probably didn't see that one coming out of all the ones that you you talked about but I think I have an opposing view from you, but I think I, I can I found a middle ground for us. Okay. Okay. So you stated on your show that you don't like the wave because it is a uh, it's distracting. It's this like major thing that like really makes it difficult to to view the game. And and I have felt that way before. There was a long time in my life that I actually a hundred percent agreed with you. The wave would start at a game, and I'd be like, ugh. Get get out of here, amateurs! This you know you're you're standing in my yeah. way. I have since kind of reversed, and in the spirit of uh, you know enjoying letting people enjoy things, I feel now that I don't really care about the wave. I, in fact, you know I like to think that for kids who maybe didn't have their uh, parents teaching them about the art of the game like you did at such a young age just instilling some excitement at the stadium maybe is enough to leave a positive feeling about baseball. And then as they, as they get older, like that turns into an actual love of the game. So I kind of like the wave now, even though I don't necessarily enjoy participating in it, but what I, what drives me crazy is the guy who's trying to start the wave at a game. I don't know if you've ever sat in the section where someone yeah. is trying to get the wave going. I think mm-hmm. I would like the wave a lot more if it happened more like, I don't know, maybe the actual stadium is like orchestrating it and, and like Fred yeah. goes out there, you know, and it's like that an organized so thing cool. or something like that. 
but there is no there is no more desperate human on earth than the person <laughs> who's standing at the bottom of a uh of a of a section frantically trying to get everybody in the in that section's uh uh you know attention and line right. them all up i feel such secondhand like stress and yes. almost like I'm embarrassment like, for know, that person. As you're talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what compels someone to decide I want to spend the next upwards of like 15 to 20 minutes to try to get the wave going. I guess it's probably pretty satisfying that once it gets going, you look around like a crowd of like 40,000 yeah. people and you're like, look what I've done. I'm a, you know, I, I wield such power or something yes. like that. But that is like, I'm such an opposite person. Like nobody look at me. I just want to watch the game. Right. Um, so I think the wave is fine, but I don't like the people who are starting the wave. Uh, what are your thoughts? That I think is a really, really good point. And I think, first of all, I got onto this kind of like ban the wave bandwagon, if you will, mm -hmm. because like it always like mildly annoyed me, kind of like you're saying, like, it annoys me because it is distracting. It's often like half-assed because yeah. it's like, is it happening? Is it not happening? Because it's not organized, as you mentioned. Yeah. I like organized fun. Maybe that's yes. it. But yeah, it is often also done like when I – so you mentioned it perfectly because when I was at the London series, I was right a couple rows away from the guy <laughs> who just had to start the wave. Yeah. Yeah. And not only did I feel his, yeah, intensity and anxiousness as he was trying to get it going, but then every time it would go around and when it would die off and he was like, oh no, now I got to start it again. And so <laughs> yeah. it was an ongoing thing. And of course it was that Saturday game, the first game of the series when the Cardinals were playing horribly and, mm -hmm. you know, no one really cared about the game at this point because it was obvious which way it was going to go. And so, yeah, it just like really solidified my anti-wave feelings, but I totally agree with you in the terms of like, you know, having some fun engagement, especially for kids. And I do agree that those kinds of moments can be some of the first memories that, that ultimately lead to fans of the game. So I think you're right. You found the, the middle ground. <laughs> so if we can just get the people to stop so desperately trying to start the wave, especially at horrible moments, uh, then, then maybe we can all go back to some sort of appreciation for, you know, fan engagement. Um, cause yeah, it also drives me crazy when it's like bottom of the eighth and you know, it's a tie game or something and you're like, everybody stop, you know? Um, but great segue because I really wanted to ask you about your trip to London. Uh, you know, we had Akira on, the show a couple weeks ago and we got the UK perspective of the, uh, in the of the games in London and it, it was wonderful if this is your first time listening to the show go back a few episodes and check it out as uh get a, a wonderful way of wonderful way of explaining sort of baseball's position in in London and in the UK and and even Europe to some degree and it was really fascinating uh but you have a totally different lens on this bunch of dirty yanks heading out to uh you know foggy london town to uh to catch a game uh my first question was this is probably a dumb question but just so i know did you plan the whole trip around this or was this something like a crazy cosmic coincidence that you were already going over there and then the cardinals were playing 
So we did go, I guess, more or less specifically for the games, but my sister lives in London and I had never ah. been to visit her. So it was okay. more like perfect. The, yeah. The excuse to finally go over and visit her. So we were actually going to go in 2020 when they were supposed to play there um, because she had already lived there for a few years at that point. That obviously put a halt to all travel plans for a while. Sure. So yeah, it was like, why not? Yeah. It's perfect. Just, yeah. The perfect excuse to go. So tell me about your trip. What, um, you know, what stood out to you, I guess, from a, uh, someone who's been to a ton of baseball games here in the States. I know you've, uh, you were in, in Chicago, you were at a game just recently, saw you on the TV. Uh, <laughs> My final um, sure. yeah, yeah, it's a good look. Um, so what was your sort of takeaway from this trip or what stood out to you? Yeah, so I loved Akira's interview uh, with how he spoke about like looking around for fans and like mm-hmm. finding that camaraderie. And from his perspective of knowing that, you know, he's one of a few that are taking it in regularly and and not really knowing what to anticipate in in having it come to his home or closer to his home. So we also felt that like in a different sense, because we actually got there uh, over a week before the game. So we had spent the whole week there. And in those few days, uh, like Friday, we actually went to the stadium and got to attend the, the workout day before the two games. But that was the first time that we were really in the area where the games were going to be. So when we started to see people wearing baseball attire because nobody wears, you know, you don't wear sports team attire unless you are going to a sports game in the UK. Mm -hmm. And that's something that my sister and her boyfriend who is from there have explained to us, you know, prior, but that's how we knew, you know, we saw anybody wearing any kind of sports attire that, you know, oh, they know, they know what's going on. And so it almost felt, yeah, like this instant connection uh, with people as we saw them on the tube or, you know, getting closer yeah. to the stadium. And so that was really exciting just to then like be like, oh, are you from here? Are you from there? Like, what is your connection to this? And and that was such a fun part of it overall was just talking to different people and and all the different walks of life that were there to experience the same thing that, you know, we get to experience all the time. Yeah. You speak about the, 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 um, I keep wanting to say outfits, the, the, you know, the clothing and all of the gear that, that we wear to support our I games, like they might call it <laughs> the fit. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, here it's ubiquitous, especially in St. Louis. I, I worked at a place, uh, one time that was like, you have to wear your work. It was like, you know, predefined work clothes or Cardinal gear. You know, it was like, that's one of the Perfect. two things you could wear. And this was at, you know, at work. So it's like so baked into, yeah. uh, you know, the existence here in St. Louis. Even if you don't care about the Cardinals, you are forced to be surrounded by uh, Cardinal stuff all of the time. So um, it's interesting. Uh, did you, did anything stand out about like the stadium and the setup? I know Akira spoke kind of, it was like a hodgepodge of, like all the different baseball elements. Like I know it's kind of a, a strange setup for the stadium itself. Yeah. I mean, I think that they did a great job with it. The thing that was so different about the experience for for me, having gone to all the stadiums here, was how 
easily accessible it was. Honestly, like getting hmm. in and getting food and going to the bathroom, like that stadium is built for over 60,000 people. And I don't know if there just were more facilities or if it was better organized. I don't know, but it was a very enjoyable experience uh, just in terms of like the ability to move around and take in the experience, you know, then from, you know, no shade, but being at guaranteed rate like a week ago <laughs> and you just feel like so overstimulated just trying to walk to get to your seat and, you know, stressed out, especially with the pitch clock to to go to the bathroom as quickly as you can. So <laughs> yes. um, that was was just a very different experience. Uh, overall. And I think because there were even the people who were there as, you know, more spectators to take in the ambiance were still very interested in what was going on in the field, even if they didn't understand it, because it was, you know, maybe their first time getting to experience it live like that. So there, I don't know, there was just, it seemed very like calm and focused in a sense. And I, I heard Akira speaking to you about how, yeah, they can't take drinks into the seats, uh, typically at like football matches. And that I knew about because my, my sister had mentioned it to me and we weren't sure if they were going to allow it there, which of course they did, which was great. But there's no cup holders or anything in the stadium, <laughs> which is just so weird. Like so little things like that were were strange yeah. and, and definitely noticeable. And the biggest thing that we noticed right off the bat was the fan engagement in terms of like any time the bat made contact with the ball in the first few innings of the first game, the whole crowd was like, what's happening? This is it. Home run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it was just any kind of action. So yeah. that was super fascinating to us too. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Just a bunch of excited people just for the, yeah. like the act of baseball, you and a probably don't even really know what they're cheering for or, well, I, I have to imagine most people that were baseball fans, right? I, I don't know. Like, even if they weren't necessarily the most educated, like, are, are you really buying a ticket to this thing and just going just purely out of like interest? I imagine most people had some connection to the sport or like a friend was a fan or something like that. And it was, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. So I had asked my sister a lot about this because she has been over there since well, like 2018 or yeah, 2018. And she went over to do her master's program. And as her dissertation, she actually did it on the NFL and their expansion to the UK. So she had looked a lot into that and like, you know, all the extent of fan engagement and what the goals ultimately are with it. And we thought it was really interesting when uh, we looked into it that in 2019, the first time that the MLB played in the UK and it was the Red Sox and the Yankees that uh, there was actually, you know, very clear stats out there that 30% of the attendees were like tourists from the U S and 70% of attendees were from the UK. And we thought that would have been the opposite, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But then when you think about it, you're like, I mean, yeah, the the cost of like having to travel there and then go to the game, yeah, that's way yeah, extreme. Pretty prohibitive. Like, yeah. Then if you could just, you know, hop the train and and buy a ticket, even if it is fifty pounds, like to get to experience American culture is a big part of their culture. Hmm. So, I I do think there was a lot of people there that knew less about what was going on than than more just, <laughs> I guess. just there just for the yeah the, to take it the in spe the spectacle yeah yeah 
Yeah, I love that. I I I really I get torn on these efforts, uh, like how the MLB chooses to try to promote itself outside of the United States. Like I think it's it's critical, um, and I and I appreciate that there is an effort to it. Yeah, I have I've wondered if like is London and Europe really the like the the focus? Like, wouldn't it make more sense if we were playing a ton of games? in Latin America and South America. And I know that that right. has been happening to some degree. And of course, why not both? But it just feels like I'd love to see like, when is a game happened in Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic? Yeah. I know I know some of this is um, resources and uh, capacity and, and all of that. So it, it's a complicated issue. But like, I love that we play games in London and and people get to go to it, but I would love to see more investment and more focus in this, in the countries that truly have incredible baseball programs and, you know, have a ton of representation in the league. And it feels like we don't spend enough time down there, but again, I know it's complicated. So I'd love to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, I agree. It, it was really interesting to just be in an environment where like I'm sure you saw online that I I met Albert Pujols in Trafalgar Square because no one knew who he was. And (laughs) he was just standing there completely accessible. And I was like, well, if no one else is going to go say hi to him, I guess I will. Yeah, (laughs) That just never would have happened. And like you said, in Puerto Rico, in the Dominican Republic, even in Mexico, like obviously in the United States with any sort of baseball event around Mm -hmm. Albert Pujols that he would have been that directly accessible to me or to anyone, you know, just hanging out. Yeah. So. One of the best players of all, of all time in the sport, just hanging right. out. And then like, after I went and said, Hey, and got his autograph that people are like, Oh yeah. Who is that? Oh, that and must I'm be like, a guy. What? Who is that? Yeah. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Like- I can't tell you, <laughs> but it was Sorry. really fun to see all the fans that were like taking in, even for a lot of them, a completely new experience and and mm-hmm. how it was all crafted by MLB. And there were certainly a good amount of people there who I talked to a number of people who even were there like by themselves because they are the people who stay up really late and fall asleep on the couch, you know, watching the games that are on there at, at midnight their time. And uh, I, I sat next to uh, a lovely man named Ben who was a Cubs fan. And I was like, how did you become a, a Cubs fan? Like you grew up, you know, a couple hours outside of London. And he told me it was because he was a Michael Jordan fan. And so he just started following all Chicago sports teams. And he was not the only person who told me that. So that was like a really interesting through line um, for, for Chicago Cubs fans that they like the Chicago Cubs because of Michael Jordan, who would have thought, but he was educated about the game because he had like taught himself through YouTube videos. So Yeah. yeah, there was all different, walks of life and different storylines. It's funny to, it's just poor white socks. You know, you can't catch a break. You, right. <laughs> you, there's like a direct connection with yeah. uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go and still like the Cubs over, yeah, over really, the white. Really out on that one too. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Did you get any, um, I was gonna ask, how was the food? Did you participate in any of the ridiculous uh, like concessions that existed, or just in London in general? Yeah, so 
I don't know if you heard, you know, the number of different Cardinals players and and the broadcast team talking about how underwhelmed they were with the food, but like they should have hung out with me because I had great food the whole time that I was there. And maybe that's because I had someone who lives there uh, that knew where to take us and, and what we should try. But I mean, they have great Indian food there. Mm-hmm. So we specifically like sought that out one night. Um, Korean fried chicken, which like I, I was like, oh, fried chicken. Like, no, I'm good. This it's not it's not fried chicken like here. It's better. It's worth it. Yeah. I'm Way a huge go. fan of Korean fried chicken. And oh, one of my favorite restaurants in Chicago, can't remember the name right now, but it's a British Indian restaurant that like is is fantastic. Um yeah, I think there's there is just a like a stand a running trope in in the US that the the British have bad food, right? Yeah. So I think as a, as a broadcaster, you're just like looking for the low hanging fruit to sort of like, you <laughs> know, be, yeah. jab at, at, uh, you know, jab at London. So you make fun of the food. Um, but I did hear you talking with Akira about the boomstick hot dog and uh-huh. my mom made a point to get the boomstick nachos. Yes. So she came okay. and she was so proud. And I'm, I think it took six of us to, you know, even get close to finishing it, but hell yeah. So you got, I need a little bit more. Can you break it down for me? What were the, what were the, uh, boomstick notches? What do you got? Well, it if was you like, can remember. I mean, honestly, two feet seems like not long enough, but it, it must've <laughs> been at least two feet of, you know, like a bat sized, I guess, yes. board of, of nachos. And then they've got what they call Doritos, which are not at all what Doritos are here. <laughs> There's all sorts of additives that like they would How just could that never be different. <laughs> well, so one of the biggest differences in like food regulations from the UK ah, and here is okay. all the different additives and things yeah, that they are actually have food regulations there. Right. Compared to, right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> they are a little bit more proactive in their approach to what they will let people put in their bodies, which I got to say, mm-hmm. I appreciate. But anyway, so they were Doritos, but they were basically just like corn chips and uh-huh. um yes the the pico and salsa and sour cream and cheese and and then some sort of ground beef as well i mean it was pretty standard it was just so the, just the huge size of them yeah. yeah that was really like the novelty with that item i feel like like i mean that of course sounds appealing to me but like of all the things that i want a massive plate of like i feel like nachos there's a there's a clock on every plate of nachos before they yeah. become uh you know significantly less enjoyable or at least just less i guess it can still taste good don't get me wrong but you know it's different than you want some degree of crunch in your nachos and it doesn't take too long for uh for nachos to lose that so i imagine by time you got to the center of that two foot plate, it was it was more of a more of a soup. Yeah, it definitely needed to be a group effort for them not yeah to get to that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it, and it sounds like you had a uh, a fantastic time. Um, do you think you would travel? Like, are you you know assuming you still want to visit your sister again? It was a good trip. Like, are you going to try to time it around future games in London? Or are you feeling like? Uh, you experienced it. You're you're good. I absolutely would. Yeah, because it was not like there was nothing stressful about it. Like it's very accessible. 
by public transit. Like I said, getting out of the stadium was a little bit tricky, which I guess, according to, you know, people who live there and have gone to soccer matches, because it's where West Ham plays there. Mm. That's always something that happens where like, you kind of just have to stand and wait and hang out and they move you through accordingly. So it did take a little bit longer to get out of the stadium. But I mean, overall, no, like it was, it was such a positive experience that I would absolutely love to go back and like Akira was sharing, like I thought it was very cool that there were so many, you know, representatives of all different teams and yeah. their reasoning for why they were tied to those teams was really fascinating too. But yeah. just like he said, like I would totally love to be the guy there that's like, you know, has the other team's hat on that maybe nobody even knows about. And it's just, you know, a conversation piece and, and a yeah. way to connect with fans from who knows where. So yeah, I would totally go back for it. It's like a sports anthropology angle on this whole thing, right? I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of what your what your sister is doing. So just for for NFL, um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, why don't we uh, actually talk a little bit about the Cardinals specifically now? So, uh, again, the last time you were here, mid or mid April, we spent a fair amount of time talking about the vibes and how important vibes can be on a team. Uh, we were fresh off of the still going somehow story of Ali Marmal chastising Tyler O'Neill in public. And mm-hmm. we were just starting to get the hints towards the season that would come. And now here we are. Uh, it's Wednesday, July 19th. We've got Dylan Carlson crying, uh, John Mozalak selling, uh, and the Cardinals on a bit of a heater. <laughs> Uh, they have, they've won eight of the last 10, five in a row. Uh, things are clicking. Of course they are right now. Uh, how are you feeling about the vibes around the St. Louis Cardinals right now? Mm. Well, there's, there's a lot to break down here. So let's start (laughs) with Dylan. So he says it hurts that he has an unclear role with his team to, to which I say, get in line. And I say that with love and support because everything else he said is very much along the lines of like not having a defined role is affecting, you know, the ability to optimize whatever he could do to help his team. Absolutely valid. But I guess a lot of this has been like an O'Neill versus Carlson. It like seems like some hot debate lately. And I don't by any means see that as like an either or situation. I stand firm that Tyler O'Neill is your starting left fielder upon return and the outfield experiment from like day one of the season has been a disaster. Yeah. The outfield defense has undoubtedly had an effect on the outcome of the season thus far. Yep. And it needs to end as soon as possible. And I believe that part of that is having Tyler O'Neill in left field where he yeah. should have always been. But if you're aligning like you're starting outfield for defense, right? It's O'Neill. Carlson, Newbar, but we're not because Walker needs reps in right field and we need his bat. And I'm not going to argue with that. So like you could platoon Carlson and Newbar a little bit. You can replace Walker late in games for defense, which we saw them do a lot last season. And it, you know, it seemed to work. It kind of seemed to be Ollie's thing. So could get back to that. Wouldn't hate to see that. Um, And then, you know, it's a whole different conversation of why like the DH position is jam logged, but Anyway, uh, Dylan's tears are are simply 
you know, like highlighting again, the disconnect and the bad communication that we've seen all season from office to clubhouse. Yeah. And speaking of which, like Mo says he's selling. I mean, at this point, that is what he has to say, right? Like, is there anyone who would be happy if he's said, you know, I'm just going to sit back and see what happens. No, like what he has to say at this point, like he has no leverage in the trade market with how the team has played thus far. It's glaringly obvious that the pitching market and the evolution of the game has gotten ahead of the Cardinals, like entire philosophy on pitching. And that's going to take some time and effort to adapt to. So more than anything, what I'm hearing him say is like, we have accepted that we need to adapt, which I think is important. Yes. Yes, very much so. <laughs> right. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. At the beginning of the season, did you think the Cardinals were going to win the Central Division? I was, I, I'm an optimist till I die. And so, yes, I did. Um, I think we all acknowledged the, uh, I mean, you couldn't go two minutes into any Cardinal, uh, out, outside the Cardinals themselves, media, and not hear everybody saying the pitching is going to be a problem. I had some hope that it would follow the same track that we have seen for like five years in a row now is that the pitching doesn't actually collapse until around June or July. And there's enough time for them to save it through the Band-Aid process in uh, at the trade deadline, which has been a formula that has seemed to work for winning the Central. Now, yes. if you said, Nate, did you think the Cardinals were going to win the World Series in 2023? I would have said, Hard no. They are, you know, they were at best the fourth or fifth best team in the NL. And it just lined up that four of the, or at least three of the worst teams in baseball were in, are in the central, right? We all know the weakness of the division. So, uh, and the thing that, the reason that that formula did not work this year is because the pitching, not, it didn't even, it didn't collapse. It never started. It was, it was right. bad out of the gates. We never had a, a really a good starting rotation this year. So there wasn't even time to even play 500 for a while. It all just collapsed immediately. Right. Like even um, the guys you thought there wouldn't be an issue with, there was an issue with. Yeah. So along with the pressure that that puts on the offense, which you mm-hmm. have to assume like contributed at least some extent to their lack of ability to produce in some of these games where like all those Jordan Montgomery starts where he, you know, went at least six innings, let two or less runs, and they still couldn't put anything together. Like you throw in the yeah. misalignment of the defense and the rule changes, and it's somehow this perfect storm that like it's easy to say now, like, well, of course that happened. But and now that Mo has raised the white flag, so to speak, yeah. like everyone has quickly come around and been like, finally, it's about time. Like, take some yeah. responsibility. But Let's go back to April 20th. We were all like a little bit shocked about just how bad the first half of it was overall. Like nobody thought they were going to win 100 games. Maybe even 90 games would have been a really pleasant surprise. But Mm -hmm. I personally did not think that they would be in last place in the division for honestly even a day. So I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone except for the most pessimistic of fans who would have predicted this. And you know what? They're they're getting their flowers now, right? All every, (laughs) every listener out there who, who loves to doom cast everything. All right. Is this really what you wanted? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, yeah, now the Cardinals are winning. The central division is, 
is terrible. You know, spoiler yeah. alert again from last time I was here, the pirates are not for real. Uh, yep. So, so I don't know, man. I am, yeah. <laughs> I'm having to regulate my emotions over Cardinals baseball after the first half of the season. Like all I can say is take care of yourself, Cardinals fans. Uh, mm-hmm. We are, we're still on a roller coaster and it's hard to say where, where it ends. Marmol said something interesting today um, that I'm going to paraphrase. I, I should have written it down, but he basically said, uh, we've had to play a different game through most of this year than what we want because we're behind. We've not been able to take the extra base. We've had to be more passive mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we didn't want to make a unnecessary out when you're behind. And I thought that was really interesting to me because I kind of hate that, right? If yeah. your game, if your optimal game is what we saw last year, this aggressive approach, take the extra base. Uh, you know, there, there is no passiveness in the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. Um, and, and then we find out that they're adopting a passive approach when they're behind because they're afraid of making mistakes. I feel like you're only perpetuating the problem. And like, if you're not preaching your best version of your, of your game, then how would you ever come back? How would you ever be good again right. if, if you're only playing from behind? So I don't know. This was something he said today after the game. You know, there may have been more context around it, but it really stood out to me because I'm like, that feels bad. And that was something that I wanted to ask you about because I know leadership is something that you think a lot about and that you talk a lot about. Yeah. And on your on this same episode that we were talking about earlier, you're also generally against the like fire so-and-so crowd. And, and I... I tend to align with you. I think it's like people jump to like fire this guy like yeah. out of, like too quickly. It's not how the world works. And do you really want this person to be out of a job? So right. I'm not on the fire Marmol bandwagon a little bit for, you know, the reasons you've stated just being inherently against calling for someone to be removed, like fired from their job. You know, it's not like they're you know, like, yell at your politicians all day, but come on, let's give these guys, right. uh, you know, <laughs> A little bit of, a little bit of, yeah, let's give them a little bit of grace. But um, that doesn't mean we can't be unhappy and frustrated with, with, you know, coaches and and call out where they have uh, failed. And I think there's been a lot of that this year. So now that we're further into the year, there's been a lot of discussion around Marmol. How are you feeling about him and his leadership style? Yeah, I think that I have a lot of empathy for him and that might be specific to me and like positions that I've been in in my professional life. But like I probably said the last time that I was here, like I just don't feel comfortable like pointing the finger directly at him on much of anything because I don't know how much of it is up to him at all. Like The very nature of his hire was that he is the yes man, was that he is born and bred through the organization. And, you know, he is going to be the face that is, you know, maybe more or less like a talking puppet. Like, I I don't know. I just have a really hard time saying, like, he is the problem. I certainly the one like definite criticism that I guess I would have on him this year versus last. Like I thought he handled the media well last year. I appreciate appreciated how candid he was and how straightforward mm-hmm. that he was. 
um, with like just he thought he walked the line really well of being like appropriately candid, which yeah. is a discretion that can be really hard to teach or perfect. But yeah. this year, like it's he's he's put himself in a position, I think, to be more easily criticized by the way that he's addressed the media particularly when they've been going through these really tough times. And again, I still have a hard time like blaming him because who would deal with that particularly well? Like I cannot imagine you think perhaps they could have given him, you know, some better resources, some better talking points to, you know, help him navigate that because I, I don't know. Like I, I think that at times he was, you know, definitely dodging or talking around things and even sometimes seemed like he was somewhat condescending or frustrated by what was being asked of him. But I also am like, well, who wouldn't be yeah. <laughs> to some extent? And yeah, I, I guess I come back to like I said, I, you know, I have empathy for him because like I have been quite literally the face of a franchise of where like it seems like I have a lot of control over. And I, I guess I do maybe even have, you know, a certain level of autonomy and control over certain things. But at the root of things of where, you know, these fundamental changes need to be made that are actually going to lead to different results, like he yeah. he could feel and, and quite honestly be very helpless when it comes down to yeah. that. So. I, I tend to agree, Kelsey. I, I personally feel like he was pretty much set up for failure this year, both in the team that he was handed, which obviously this has all been worst case scenario. But again, this a lot of people saw a version of this coming. No one saw like last place. And you know what? They're not in last place anymore. But anyway, no one saw this bad uh, coming, but a lot of people saw bad coming. Right. Uh, and so he's been given a team with two starting pitchers and a whole bunch of people who we hoped would be starting pitchers. Um, and then it all fell apart. And then Arenado had one of his worst starts. Uh, you know, O'Neill immediately hurt again. Like he's had a lot the, the Cardinals have had a lot of bad luck. There's also just been literal like baseball gods, bad luck. Their record in one run games is horrible. Like they, they've been having basically the inverse Marlins season where the Marlins yeah. have had absolutely everything break for them. It's talked about the broadcast this whole whole series about how they've won so many one run games. When you look at the Pythagorean theorem or not theorem Pythagorean record for the Cardinals, they're way closer to 500 it's still below, but way closer. We'd be having a totally different conversation right now. If the Cardinals were like two games under 500, which is probably closer to what they've played than what their actual record states right yeah. now. So it's been a lot of bad luck, a lot of bad things that have been kind of dumped on his shoulders. That said, I, he, he needs to spend more time with a communications manager and Mazalak to make sure that they are on the same page about what the future of this team is, is and why they're doing the things that they're doing. Yes. Why do we have three catchers on the team? There's gotta be a reason you could, you can share that with us. Like he yeah. was incredibly ca candid last year. He was incredibly transparent. The Cardinals have been making moves and doing stuff all year to try to fix this. And every post-game conference has just been like, well, what do you want? You don't think we're going to win? You know, it's like, no, I don't think you're going to win. You haven't won <laughs> at all this year. So it, it's been like his frustration and, yeah, his sort of condescending tone to like, I think, very fair and reasonable questions. I don't think the media has right. been, you know, like particularly bad to him. I think, in, yeah. in fact, he's like... There are other sports markets that would have been way worse and not saying yes. that that's how it should be. But like with St. Louis, we're like everyone wants to love the Cardinals, you know, yep. so 
So I, I, that's the big thing. Like the Cardinals have seemed like they've had no plan this year. And maybe that's the case, which sucks. And that goes up to Mazalak. Uh, or he's just been really bad at communicating that plan in a difficult time. And I think that's something that he could hopefully learn from. And hopefully we just go back to winning, but you know, he's young. <laughs> yeah, <be> <laughs> yeah, winning fixes everything, right? But he's young and presumably he's going to be a manager for a long time. Um, so he's got to, he's got to learn. So. Yeah, you asked about specifically about the vibes. And while like I guess I gave a lot of specifics that ultimately lead up to that, like my overall current read on on this date, this Wednesday, July 19th, on the yes. vibe is that, you know, the vibes are, are questionable, but the vibes are interesting. And <laughs> yes. I think Ali Marmol is is a big part of that because the team, and I include like him and the coaches in that, like the guys in the clubhouse, they seem like currently at least that they are like interacting speaking about each other you know as if they've come to some kind of understanding like we've seen some really odd times i'm trying to think like a few weeks ago i can't remember what game it was but they won a game and they literally looked like all of their dogs just died yeah. on the it field like brutal yeah yeah so now like even even when you know i was watching the game this afternoon and it was like 4 to 2 for a while. And I was just thinking like, wow, there was a time where like four to two, even though the Cardinals are leading, like I would have been sure they were going to lose. And like this just yeah. would have felt completely different. So it almost seems like they have come to an understanding about like what they can and can't control. And, and sometimes in order to focus on like what you can control and maximize on that, you have to learn like what you're not in control of. And right. maybe Mojo Black in the front office haven't made that you know, super clear or super easy. So perhaps they've come to terms with that. And this might be completely out of left field here, but I'm always trying to relate like maybe real life or more, you know, Joe Schmo experiences to what this team might yeah. be experiencing. So yeah. it kind of reminds me of the show that I did in high school where a musical, everybody in the show was great. The show that we were doing was like very popular musical. And the choreography and like the stage movement in the show was really bad to the point mm. where we were all just like, this is going to ruin it. Like, what are we going to do? We were so excited. And we had an assistant director who just happened to be like an amazing choreographer and director. So we ended up like planning a few secret sessions with him and the cast where we met up in, in the school cafeteria and we reblocked and re-choreographed the entire show and made it so good and somehow also made the people who were in charge of it like they thought it was their idea all along we called <laughs> it key. operation cookie bake and we like pretended that we were all meeting in the cafeteria to bake cookies and it was like our our secret code yeah. word so i think maybe marmal and the team have a little operation cookie bake of their own going okay. on and they're just like keeping their head down like we know mo has to say what he has to say at this point but we got to keep our our focus yeah. on the game and and the day that's in front of us but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been better. The the you know, is it that? Is it just positive regression? You know, some of these guys finally putting it together. Jack right. Flaherty's been looking good. Michaelis has been looking good. Montgomery's been looking good. Arenado is back to what he you know has always been. Solid but maybe people? that's 
and good yeah, defense so- wins baseball games. I don't know. If, I don't know. Who would have guessed? Yeah, who would have thought, right? Turns out. So it's going to be a really interesting trade deadline, So, uh, which is. we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, but before we do, Kelsey, I would love if you would take a minute and tell our listeners a little bit about your shows and uh, and and how people could maybe check out some of your work after they listen to this show. Yeah, so my weekly podcast is called Peace, Love, and Baseball. It is a hodgepodge of all things from fitness and wellness to entertainment to always at least something about baseball. And uh, we have a lot of guests as, long, as well as solo episodes where I'll kind of elaborate on on things that are are pertinent to the baseball world and the current happenings. And that is on comes out weekly on Tuesdays. You can follow along on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And the easiest way to find that is by following me on Twitter at KBird, B-U-R-D, tweets. And there's my little link tree. And you can find all the peace, love, and baseball stuff along with links to Babes Babes, which is the podcast that is all about baseball. Uh, we cover all the happenings in all of the divisions in both leagues, as well as highlighting women specifically in baseball. And that is on YouTube, as well as all places that you get your podcasts. And you'll find that in my link tree as well. So that's a couple times a month, uh, bi-monthly, and then Peace, Love, and Baseball coming at you weekly. Two shows. That's incredible. Um, yeah, everybody, please go and check them out. They're, they're great shows. Um, and hey, if after you're done checking out those shows and you want to continue to support our show, our show is listener supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash talking about birds. We have a wonderful Discord server that uh, is a great place to get away from the noise of all the different social medias that are out there. Uh, if you are sick of maybe all of the ranting and raving and the hatred that goes around, uh, you know, you want a place that would not convince Adam Wainwright to leave Twitter, uh, consider joining our Patreon. Uh, the Discord is a great place to be. Um, we have uh, all of the different social medias as well. The easiest way to find those is at talkingaboutbirds.com. That is until we sell that domain to some sort of bird company, which is really how we hope to cash out of this whole thing. <laughs> uh, so, Kelsey, the uh, trade deadline is coming up. Um what are you looking for from this trade deadline? We've seen there there are some people are in the camp of tear it all down. Arenado, Goldie, all of them. If they're if it's not Walker and Gorman, and then you know pick your flavor of maybe Newt Bar or uh, you know everyone has their own favorite players like you know burn it all down. Where where do you fall on the spectrum and are you thinking at all about the the winning that is happening right now? Is that coloring your perception of the upcoming trade deadline? Well, it is. First and foremost because like you, I am an eternal optimist and I want Cardinal baseball to be fun for as long yeah. as possible. And I also am like coming in with my fire hose because I have serious attachment issues to all of these guys. <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not probably my not boys. A great person. Yeah. I might not be a great person <laughs> to talk about this because I don't particularly love the idea of trading any of our position players uh, who yeah. are currently on the active roster, except for maybe two. And that would be like Paul DeYoung, and a catcher. Um, 
But other than that, like, I think there is a, actually a good variety of of talent that has not been utilized in the best of ways, uh, specifically this season. So, like, mm-hmm. I see a very clear fit for all of the rest of them, including, like, Mason Wynn in there, too, um, potentially, mm-hmm. you know, this year. And I... I don't know. I really liked listening to Ben's ideas last week, especially with, you know, his knowledge around like the different uh, pitchers to be excited about in different organizations, which which I do not have the insight mm-hmm. on. So I don't know. I would have to be given like a very clear, like pretty on a platter like this for this. What do you think? And even then, I yeah. probably feel really tormented about it. Yeah. It is difficult, right? Because the whole thing around fandom is like, you, we support these these guys. This is our team, you know? And and you, especially like, you know, everybody values their players way more than some other player out there, right? Like Alec Burleson, a, a popular uh, candidate to be traded. I've been a huge fan of. Calling him Chief Beef. I see him as a cornerstone of this team. But he hasn't really done what we've been hoping for this year. But I would, I still see, like, you can see it, right? Look at those under underlying numbers. You can see it, right? Like, he yeah. just needs the opportunity. Um, but I do get to the point to where, like, like I hear you on, you can see all of these parts and you can see how this all fits together. But that's what we thought this year, right? And it didn't happen. So. Yeah what are the odds that it would happen next year? And so I have been leaning more towards what we talked about with last week with like, you know, with Ben and, and saying like, we should probably try to trade like four or five guys from the main roster right now and, and free up some of this space and give someone like a Dylan Carlson, just the starting job and just say, yeah. there you go, buddy. You are the starter. Uh, or, or maybe not Carlson. Maybe it's, O'Neal, Newbar, and Walker, and assuming health, which is of course always the underlying, you know, unknown. You just say, "There you go." There's no longer this like lurking pressure that every single at bat is your job, which I know is part of sports, but it has to feel particularly difficult when there's like four guys behind you all the time, which is what is happening with the Cardinals. Um, yeah, there's not enough well, consistency to even be able to make sense of like what you really need to do or how much of yeah. it is. In- so yeah yeah um but when you talk about like the optimist side of me it is a real struggle because like the the um you know my the forward thinking version of me future nate is like we really gotta make these trades and we really should tear down for and focus on 2024 uh but future nate doesn't exist yet now nate exists and now Nate likes to watch good Cardinal baseball. And mm-hmm. even though I want, like, I know the the right thing is for the Cardinals to actually lose as much as possible over the next couple months. Uh, if you believe that they don't really have a shot at the central anymore, which I, I still do despite the, the winning streak, the, the right call is for them to lose as much as possible. But right. I, I just have such a hard time, like actually committing to that opinion and this little winning streak. I can't lie. It's got me back. Like what? I know. If, you know, I know, we're only, we're only 10 back. It's we've been, you know, teams have come back from worse with less. The Cardinals have come back from worse with less. They like have. We've, we've done that. We've been here. 
we just need another miracle. Hey, don't worry. We'll do it. We do it every year, you know, but I don't know. I, it's like this whole season has been so chaotic and so inconsistent and so bad. (laughs) Like what are the odds that the next 70 games are suddenly this like, full reversal of everything and you know we we win out basically and also the brewers collapse and also the reds mm-hmm. who are kind of collapsing they also collapse you know i just i'm still on board with uh this like this tear down or, or it's not tear down it's like retool for 2024 but yeah. there's still a part of me that's like no bye let's do this <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be easier if it was clear which puzzle pieces weren't fitting and like what needed to be changed out. But that's the thing that I mean, besides the pitching, it's I don't know. There there is still a lot that works. And yeah, I don't know. That's why I say it has to be like this for this for me to say go on any of it. Because I am very logical in terms of like if there was a clear solution or you know something that just makes more sense i can you know be objective about that but yeah without that being like right in front of my face i'm like no let's just stay here and keep winning yeah just keep winning the the thing that brings me back to like they need to sell is that um if they don't if they don't go out and acquire ample amounts of possible pitchers 2024 is going to be horrible. Yes. You know, like we'll have the same problems on the offense, the same log jams on the offense, and we won't have Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, uh, you know, Adam Wainwright. Not that that's really helped, but he's still been someone who is at least throwing for it. Like it's only going to be worse in 2024. And so like, yeah, maybe you could sell out for a, a, a miracle 2023 run, but 2024 is going to be even worse. So I'm like, that's not that long uh, from now that I can be like, all right, you know, future Nate, like we should probably prioritize prioritize you over uh, current Nate, even if you don't exist yet. But um, I don't know. We'll see. The the nice thing is that there's only uh, 12 days until this is all set. I know, I'm ready for it to be over, but you are so right. Like the pitching is such a systemic problem that as much as I would like to think that, just like hang tight and wait to the off season that that will not <laughs> set yeah. us up for 2024 at least. So because the only solution at this point, if they don't do something now with these pieces that are likely to become free agents is to spend a ton of money in the off season on guys like Aaron Nola uh, and uh, you know, a few other options at that level. And we just have no evidence that the Cardinals are willing to do that. So right. Uh, what are the odds that this offseason they'll suddenly decide to to sign two or three major starting pitchers? And it's like, no, the correct move is to trade Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Hicks, Jack Flaherty, uh, probably someone like Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan. Or uh, I, I know, I know, I know, but it's the it's, only one I love uh, more than Tommy Edmond is Brendan Donovan, and the only one I love more than Brendan <laughs> Donovan is Tommy Edmond, and I just. <laughs> Yeah, I will. I mean, Donovan is just, you know, looking like a a cornerstone, but you got to trade talent to get talent. And if we truly think we're going to get like all these trades you see online where it's like. So when 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 Mazalek traded for Arenado and Goldschmidt, that's not how it normally works. And he's not going to be able to pull it off that often. 
when I see these trade people are like, oh yeah, just trade Tommy Edmonds straight up for uh, you know Logan Gilbert. It's like no, that's not gonna happen. It's we're gonna have to spend you know a lot to get something that's truly gonna to shape the Cardinals and and make them better. So anyway, we'll see. Again, I, I appreciate your take on it. I think we are. I, I I go back any any hour. I can be more on your side of like no, let's just go for it, and then. Another, you know, and then I then I start thinking about it and thinking about 2024, and I come back around to to tear it all down. So we'll see. Um, I want to talk about uh, the couple of series that are uh, that are coming up. We should have hopefully some fun, but we'll see. Uh, we've got a four game series against the Cubs in Chicago. Uh, are you going to try to go to any of these games? I am. I'm going on Friday and on Sunday, nice. so I will be Hell there. Oh yeah! All right. Uh, I mean, four games in Wrigley. Yeesh! Like this could go in so many different directions. The Cubs are in a in a unique spot too. They're actually kind of in a similar spot to the Cardinals, although no one expected them to be good this year. But like, you know, they're trying to decide: do they trade Cody Bellinger? Do they trade Marcus Stroman? Who, if they do decide to trade Stroman, he's uh, maybe the best option on the market for a contending team, uh, which is disappointing because that would mean the Cubs will continue to improve. But, um, you know, they've been unfortunately pretty smart at these trade deadlines over the last few years. So I suspect that they'll, uh, they'll make some good decisions, but, um, should be a good series. Uh, I, I think that, you know, they're, I suspect that they'll sell and they'll sell hard and they'll tank by the end of the year. And I think that probably the Cardinals end up at a better spot than them in the standings. But as it stands right now, uh, should be a good series. Have you looked at the uh, pitching lineup or matchups yet that you might get for Friday and Sunday? Yeah. So Flaherty has been is is written down at least on, yeah. on Friday and then Montgomery would align on Sunday. So I could see both of their last starts potentially as Cardinals, which yeah. would be great and also, you know, emotional and sad. And we'll see if they they even put uh, Jay money back out there again on Sunday. But that's kind of what I'm hoping for at this point, because yeah. I would like the opportunity just to see them in a Cardinals uniform, especially if it is for, you know, the last time. Yeah. Uh, do you go to many non-Cardinal games in Chicago? I don't know. I've only been to a handful, but most of the time it's especially at Wrigley, like it's been stupid expensive the last yeah. like, really since 2016. So I I don't go to as many as I'd like to. Yeah. I also don't I used to live like literally steps away from there and I don't anymore. Okay. So it's not as easy for me to get down there. But yeah, mostly I I spend my time there when the Cardinals are in town. Yeah. Good answer. I don't want to spend any money on the Cubs. Uh, so it should be, it's always a fun series though. Kind of a bandbox, right? You never know. It could be, uh, you really, it kind of doesn't matter what the current situation is for either team. These games are usually good and can go in a million different directions. So yeah, it's the perfect example of how vibes matter because the Cubs <laughs> yeah. and Cardinals are in the house. The vibes are high. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, they have three games in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks, a bit of a surprise this year. I think they were a lot of people's dark horse pick to be good this year, but um, I don't think anyone actually still expected it to really happen. And they have their flaws, but um, uh, Zach Gallen, you know, Cardinal fans have some history with this guy, and uh, there's a lot of opinions on him right now when you 
look around online, but uh, you know, he's front runner for the Cy Young. And then they have uh, Corbin Carroll who, uh, you know, just some shoulder issues, but he's likely the runaway rookie of the year, if not a, a, a top uh, MVP candidate. So interesting team. They've got some power uh, traveling to Arizona for this game. As you pointed out to me, it's hot as hell out there. Uh, we'll see how they can. Yeah. Like, like, Record breakingly hot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know they can temperature control to some degree in that stadium, but we'll see. I'd like to think the Cardinals of all teams are prepared for it. It gets hot here too, but that's some of the temperatures that they've been, uh, dealing with out there are pretty, pretty ridiculous. So should be a good series. I mean, this could be, this will be a really interesting test of is this Cardinals revival actually real or not? Because it's the Nationals and the Marlins. And I know the Marlins have been good this year, but but again, they've also been super lucky. So uh, going to Chicago for four games and then going to uh, Arizona for three games, like we might be talking again in a week around like, well, that was a fun little run back to burning right. it all down, you know, right. and if. If the uh, if the but if the run continues, you know, you're going to see more and more people start to call for like, you know, what is probably still not the right move, but a thing that I think, you know, I understand. Uh, so we'll see. Um, all right. I want to run through some, uh, just a few things from around the league. I don't know how much of this you've heard about, but a few interesting things have happened over the last week. And then we're going to play a little game and I'll. I'll let you get back to your your normal life here. Um, so something that we've been tracking a lot on the show is uh, the Bally's situation and just general access to baseball games across the board. I think that uh, the, the rule changes have been generally good for baseball. We're obviously seeing some good data around it. But I think the biggest problem facing baseball is uh, fan access to the sport. Yep. And uh, the league's like horrible system for uh, allowing people to watch the games and their ineptitude around promoting their own game. Um, we spent quite a while last week talking about how bad they are at promoting the home run derby, which seems like the easiest thing in the world to promote and give and, and give access to. Um, but anyway, uh, so uh, for the second time now, a team has failed to come to agreement with a provider and the MLB has taken over the production and broadcast. So the Arizona Diamondbacks, who we were just talking about, failed to come to an agreement with Bally's. And now the MLB is in control fully of the production and release of their broadcast. Uh, This is the second team to have that happen. And while I have a hard time saying I trust the MLB to do anything, I actually do think this is a step in the right direction because you're getting the cable companies out of the middle. And I think you can at least say MLB really cares about promoting its sport, even though they do a bad job at it. What you can't say is that Bally's truly cares about baseball, right? So I think you're, you're cutting out a middle, uh, like a middle massive conglomerate that doesn't really care about, the sport they just care about the profit and you're putting in charge people who at least should care about it and they've said some right things around getting rid of blackouts increasing access and things like that so it'll be a big test but i'm 
hopeful that this is another domino falling in the direction of making baseball accessible to everyone, at least more easily. Um, you should be able to just get MLB TV and get access to everything and everything uh, at a at a price, you know. Um, it would be nice. Kelsey, it is good that- it- it's kind of like happening the way that it is, I guess, maybe like a little bit at a time. I know the Padres were the first that it happened with, and I have, I was watching like their Mets series and I guess I didn't really, I didn't think about it then that I noticed like any glare, anything that was glaringly different, but it's, it's a comfort to know that like, it is this seemingly easy of a transition as a consumer that like, don't worry, it will be there. And hopefully that it's happening a little bit at its time will, yeah, yeah, ultimately make it a successful transition. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. You know, it, it could end up being the the bad path to go down, but I just can't imagine the the correct solution is to put it in charge, put more cable companies in charge of this stuff. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, and, and I think this is the only way it could go. There's so many contracts tied up in all this stuff. I mean, the Cardinals are in their multi-billion dollar contracts and whatnot. Like there's never going to be this just like overnight sweep where everything suddenly becomes better. It, it, it kind of has to go this way. A uh, couple other things. So uh, Andrew Painter, a player that we've talked about unrealistically around the Cardinals potentially uh, acquiring from the Phillies. He's one of the best, if not the best pitching prospects in baseball. He has been recommended to have Tommy John surgery. So uh, we'll go ahead and take that guy off the board as far as potential trade targets for the Cardinals. And uh, as just a fan of baseball, you know, it's disappointing when you see such like a, a young uh, potential star have to go into such a dramatic surgery, though. Obviously, Tommy John isn't what it used to be. We expect he'll be back. But still, uh, for the short term, Cardinal, you know, uh, aspirations and then just the long term baseball impact, it's it's always disappointing to see that happen. I feel like any time that there is some kind of news that comes out about pitching like someone who's really exciting and the pitching that like it just I hate it because I feel yeah. like like Bill DeWitt and John Mosaylock are just looking at each other like see see no we're still on the right track here yeah yeah right yeah what do you say earlier like well signing a bunch of pitching wouldn't have helped anyway right yeah it's exactly yes yeah like everything that happened with Jacob Graham and Carlos Rodon and then even like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander I'm like they're just sitting around looking at each other like i mean we've got this all figured out yeah. <laughs> no wonder they didn't wave the white flag until now but yeah yeah that's unfortunately yeah. what it made me think of right off the bat but yeah as a baseball fan you hate to see it and you hope for the best yep uh well speaking of pitching the pirates have signed the first overall uh draft pick paul Ske- skeins or skeins uh now automatic, like almost immediately one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Uh, he signed a record breaking, uh, bonus at $9.2 million. I mean, basically every year it's, it's an, the, the next guy gets the, the next biggest bonus. He, he broke, uh, Spencer Torkelson's record from 2021. So it's not like it was a longstanding record or anything, but still this guy's going to be incredible. And, uh, unfortunately as a Cardinal fan, we have to watch him, uh, uh, be a pirate for for quite a while. Yeah, we can't trade for him. Um, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, the pirates typically make really bad trades, but they don't do it with us. They just send them down to everyone else. Right. 
Uh, and then finally, we've been talking about the rule changes. Uh, I think this was pretty emblematic of the like the new state of baseball on July 18th. Yesterday, four separate games had both teams scoring 10 plus runs. This was the first time since 1894. So, yeah, yeah, the the league was trying to create more offense. Uh I mean, I know I it's only one is, day. Yeah, part but. of that is the time of year too, I'm sure. But yeah, we were, I mean, we were watching the, you know, five to two Cardinals and Marlins game last night and seeing the scores pop up across the bottom of the TV. And we we're like, whoa, everybody has more than 10 runs <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. now. Wait, is that, was that the same yeah. score? No, that's a different score. So yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, crazy night. And, uh, I, I mean, I think there's a possibility as the season goes on and pitchers get worn down even more like it might it might yep. be, you know, and as teams sell off, as as parity reduces, as the top ends grab all the mm-hmm. all the best rentals and all the bad teams are just throwing out whoever. Uh, I mean, imagine what is the Cardinal rotation going to look like when when and if they do trade Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty? It's Dakota Hudson is like our number three. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, so we're I'm gonna not... we're gonna see. Yeah, we're gonna see some more ten run games. Um, all right, so uh, that's it for the league news section, Kelsey. We're gonna end this episode. Thank you again for your time with another stupid game. I uh, the uh, the draft was last week. Uh, so prospects and minor league teams are in the news. And as we get deeper into the season and we get to September, uh, the minor league season becomes more and more of a thing as teams start looking to dip into their teams to reinforce or maybe highlight some of their upcoming prospects. So you can't go very far right now without hearing something about the minor leagues. And one of the best things about the minor leagues, one of everybody's favorite things about the minor leagues is the team names. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a lot of fantastic <laughs> team names. So Kelsey, I've got a list of team names. Some of them are real and some of them are fake. And it is going to be up to you to determine whether it is real or whether it is fake in another edition of AAA or ah, ah, ah. (laughs) So. I will answer that way too. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Those are the two answers, even though. To be clear, this could be any non-MLB uh, team. So we're talking minor leagues, independent leagues. It, it can be basically all over the place. Okay. So uh, I'm going to say a name, and then you tell me, is it AAA or is it ah, ah, ah? All right. So starting off, the Charleston Crawdads. I think that's AAA. Nope, that is a fake one. The Charleston Crawdads. I mean, that's a pretty good one compared to some of them that I've heard. So yeah, someone should adapt that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to moonlight as a as a team naming, and this is like team naming expert, and this is just my my audition. All right, the Wichita Wingnuts. I think that might be AA as well. That one you got. The Wichita right. Wingnuts are indeed a real Wichita Wingnuts. Wichita Wingnuts. What is a yeah, wingnut? Uh, like, that is 
a wingnut is, um, you know, like a nut that you put on, like on a bolt to uh, secure yeah, but it that, to something. That's like what their mascot is. And it's got the little uh, like wings coming off of it. Yeah, but that's actually yeah. what their mascot is. Like, it's not even like a fun take no. on something. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I assume maybe there's like a wing nut factory nearby or something like that. Uh, but you know what? There's also this isn't on my list. This is from a previous version that we played. Uh, there's a Lansing Lugnuts team out there too. So I don't know. People just, you know, looking for various hardware. Maybe they just open up their drawer and that's what's rolling around. Like, sure, that's a good enough team name. All right. Uh, you've got one. Next, we have the Traverse City Beach Bums. No, that is a real team. The Traverse City Beach Bums. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Come on. The Crawdads should definitely uh, be over the Beach yeah. Bums. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, the Beach Bums. It's a real team. Traverse City Beach Bums. All right. Next up. The Santa Fe Little Helpers. I want to say no, but like... Did you make this up? So I'm going to say AAA. I know I made that one up. The Santa Fe. Where did you even get that from? (laughs) Well, I thought it'd be funny because it's Santa. Oh, yeah. I should have known you made it up. (laughs) Santa's little helpers, Santa Fe little helpers. There you go. I had had some free time today. All right. Your audition is now, going well. Yeah. Next one. The Lincoln County Logs. I'm going to say, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> All right. You got me on that one. Ooh. That is, that is not real. Too, too obvious. No. You might say Santa Fe Little Helpers was too obvious, <laughs> too. So. <laughs> I just wasn't thinking about it from the right angle at the time. All right. I've got a few more. The normal corn belters. Oh, so I am actually from Peoria, which, and I went to college in Bloomington Normal. So I know this one is AAA. Very good. Uh, I did, I've got a, uh, a one half of my family is from Peoria. I've spent a lot of time in, in East Peoria. That, so. Uh, yeah, so I'm from uh, Washington, which is right next to East yeah, Peoria. Yeah, my, my grandparents uh, lived in Washington. Uh, that was where they, their retirement home was. Uh, all right to grow up or grow old <laughs> wow uh that like huge tornado that came through a few mm-hmm. like well, was like like that was know, like seven or eight years, years ago now, yeah. yeah yeah it like went through their neighborhood and jumped and like crushed a bunch of houses and like jumped yeah. over a bunch of houses it was crazy we drove through it and it was like just totally random on whose houses got destroyed and there's yeah, you know the exact were... same as my family it was nuts i was living in new york at the time and they like my family's phones, like they couldn't get in touch with each other, but somehow like they could get in touch with me. So I was able to like actually tell the rest of them that they were like, okay, because they weren't all at home when it happened. But yeah, that was wild. That is the a Washington dramatic situation. will exist someday. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Uh, three more for you. The Percyville Presidents. <laughs> yeah, all right. You got me on that one. All right, uh, and next is the 
Batavia Muck Dogs. I'm going to go AAA with that one. You're on a roll. The Muck Dogs Ooh. are indeed real. Come back. The muck and finally, dogs. this is the last one. Hartford Horses. Hmm. I feel like I would have heard of them, so I'm going to say, uh-uh-uh. All right. What a run. Uh, you're, uh, you're, you have your 17-game uh, win streak. I'm better yeah, in the second half. That's right. So you just got the last five in a row uh, correct. So you ended up getting six out of nine. So very the good. The Cardinals won the last five in a row. I think this is a sign. There you go. I'm putting money on the Cardinals. Done They're winning done. it all this year. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm inspired. Why not? All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Kelsey, great work. Good job. You saw through most of my ruses. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining I think me you this still week. have a future in AAA team naming. So thank you. Thank Best you. Yeah, I, I don't know how many job openings there are, but there's got to be someone out there. So. Uh, well, uh, as we said before, check out Kelsey's podcast. They're fantastic. Follow on Twitter and everything. Uh, Kelsey, thank you so much for joining uh, me this week and uh, filling in for Ben. Uh, we'll have to have you back again sometime. Uh, maybe with Ben again, maybe without. This might have been, you know, an improvement overall. But um, thank you again ben, for we your hope time. You're out there. Yeah, wherever he may be right now. Somewhere deep in the woods of Canada. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back next week, assuming Ben returns uh, with another episode. Interesting times for the Cardinal fans. May we live in interesting times, right? And we're getting that right now. So uh, until next week, go Cardinals. Go Cardinals.